Praise the Lord. Well, um, you're probably wondering what in the world's going on here. And uh, it's a little prop that my, my granddaughter and I made yesterday. She's six years old, and uh, she was helping me and telling Papa, this is that, and that, do this and do that. So I, I, I told her the story of what I was going to talk about, and so she's actively involved and um, turned out pretty good. It's a well. That's what this is supposed to be. Represents a well, because I want to talk about wells this morning. Wells in the Old Testament, in the early days of Israel, and how God used the well to speak to people. But yet, the well in, in the early days of Israel obviously served a purpose where the city, the village would come to that well and draw water for their household. They would come to the well, draw water for their, their families, for their clothing to wash, uh, to, to feed the livestock. Water was uh, valuable like it is today, but even more so because of the, 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 the climate and the desert atmosphere they lived in. So wells were critical for them to be able to tap into the ground and locate that water, which is a source of life or was a source of life. Wells played an important part in the community, not only for agriculture, for farming, for, for, for the livestock, but yet the well became a place uh, where people hung out. It was a place where people socialized as they came and they gathered their water. It would take, obviously, a little longer than turning on the faucet like you and I do because they would have to draw out with uh, that bucket. And while they were doing that, they would converse and talk about different things, uh, life, etc., and so on. And so wells were very, very important, but that's not the only thing that a well did was for. Wells were used, again, as I said, as a place of socializing, but yet especially for young people. So wells were like, uh, then, today would be Starbucks. Welcome to Starbucks. Welcome, welcome to uh, Coffee Bean. Uh, and, and so they would come, and the young people would socialize around them. Why? Because the moms and the dads and the grandpas were at home. They would send the young girls to go fetch the waters. And how many know where there's young girls? There's going to be young boys. We know that. And so human nature is the same today as it was way back uh, in uh, Abraham's day. And so the, the young men knew that the parents were at home, and so it gave them the opportunity to come and socialize and, you know, talk to the young girls about, hey, how's your camel doing? Good. How many do you have? You know, right? Uh, how, many, how, many, how many chickens do you have? And kind of like what goes on today. And so they would socialize. In fact, the well also became a place where a young man would ask a young lady to get married. Just like today. Something about water that attracts people, right? Where they want to kind of be around it and they take pictures by it. And, you know, they, they, they socialize by it. And they have weddings by it. You know, the parks today, they have the beautiful fountains and, and so on. And, you know, wedding parties go by there. And, and it's the same exact thing only in the form of a water well. So wells really paid, played a, a critical part in those days. As I said earlier, wells were placed because of water, the representation of water, the spiritual aspect about that, that uh, uh, water represented a new beginning. 
and the, the different men in the word of God as uh, the patriarchs came that maybe later on in the, uh, in the month I'll speak about some of their experiences at the well when they came to the well. We know the famous story of Jesus and the woman at the well as she was there drawing water and spiritual revelation came to that woman as uh, Jesus spoke to her and she was drawing out water and Jesus said, you know, that water, you're going to be thirsty again, but I have water that gives you life and you're not going to thirst anymore. So there was spiritual revelation that came in Jesus' days, but yet even in the days, the early days of Israel that we read about. And so water and the wells were a prominent place in the city's locations and in the villages. Wells, well, they also represented ownership. Because in Abraham's day, when someone dug a well on a piece of land and they found water, what that did was uh, signify to people around the surrounding area, this portion of property belongs to me. It was the title deed for, for ownership. That's what this well represented. And so not only did the, pers- the people or persons that d- dug the well, be- but it was their inheritance to their children and to their children's children. It was uh, the title deed. For instance, in your car, if you have the pink slip to your car, that's what this represented. The title deed to your house. If you have the title deed to your house, that's what this represented. God bless you if you have the title deed to your house. That's pretty cool. But that's exactly what this was. And so in our scripture in Genesis chapter 26, we're going to read about the well and how... uh, there was an assault against uh, Abraham's son, Isaac, and his inheritance, because that's what a well represented in Abraham's days and Isaac's days. It said that my, my father dug this well, and his servants dug this well, so this property now belongs to me. Someone, it signified staking a claim, keep away, don't touch a doesn't belong to you. It was a signal to people that this was private property. But how many know the devil is always uh, on the move to take away somebody's inheritance? And we're going to read that story in Genesis chapter 26. And in verse 15, it talks about a group of people called the Philistines. Say that word, word with me, Philistines. Philistines, they were the enemy of the people of God. They were constantly trying to overtake and and remove uh, Israel from what rightfully the property belonged to them. And it had been going on for generations. Abraham had to deal with them, and so now his son is having to deal with the same group of people who wanted to interfere and remove uh, uh, their inheritance. And it says in chapter 26, and I titled this sermon, uh, Redigging Wells. Redigging the Wells. And we're going to see why in a few moments. In Genesis chapter 26 and verse 15, it says, Now the Philistines had stopped up all the wells uh, which his father, speaking of Isaac's father, Abraham, uh, servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. And they had filled them in with uh, 
dirt. And so what the Philistines did was they came and they got earth and they said, you know, we know this belongs, Abraham dug it, and now it belongs to his son Isaac, but we want that land. We don't think he deserves it. In fact, the scripture says that they were jealous of Isaac. And so they came and they got the dirt and the earth and started to fill it in. And what they were saying was that we're taking and claiming your property and your inheritance. We are claiming what Abraham left to you. We are taking it away. The, the blessings to your family, we're taking them away. The inheritance uh, that, that he left you for your, your livestock, we're taking it away. The inheritance of your children, we are taking it away. And they dug and they dug, and the Bible says they filled in uh, Isaac's well with earth. You see, Isaac had to redig the well. And in verse 18, it says, Isaac digged again the well of water which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines uh, had stopped them up after the death uh, of Abraham. You see, I love our fellowship and what God is doing in our fellowship because it continues on. It doesn't stop after one generation. And there had to have been generations uh, that have fought uh, for, for what God has given to us as a fellowship, but yet as Christians, that the enemy has always wanted to come and remove our inheritance and fill it in uh, and remove uh, the blessings of God from our lives. But I thank God for faithful men and women like yourselves uh, who are continue to dig uh, and say, no, devil, we're not going to let you uh, take away what belongs to my children and to their children's children. As I referenced earlier, my granddaughter helped me put this together. Which, what I was doing was saying uh, what, what inheritance uh, what went to my daughter and my sons also is going to my grandchildren. And nobody's taking that away, not even the devil. And so it's so critical that we understand what the devil and his lies are about. Because the devil has declared war on the church, especially in today's age. How many can say amen? He's declared war on what we believe according to the word of God. He's declared war against our faith and what the word of God says about who we are as Christians and what we are to believe as Christians and how we are to live as Christians. And the devil comes, uh, and what he does is he wants to fill in uh, and destroy our faith uh, and cause us to lose sight about it. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, the apostle Paul writes, and he says, for we wrestle not or do battle or fight not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So here's a perfect picture that we hear about so often about the spiritual warfare that we are involved in as the people of God. And just as Isaac 
had to redig his wells and begin to remove uh, what the Philistines had filled in and try to rob him of. You and I have to do the very same thing. Uh, we have to start digging our spiritual well and removing what the devil filled in and said, Devil, you're not having my children. They belong to God. Devil, you're not taking my inheritance away. They belong to God. Devil, you're not taking uh, what God has honored me with away because uh, it belongs to me. God has given it to me. It's my inheritance. And we have to redig those wells that the devil has stopped up. The well of forgiveness, of redemption, the well of love and, and, and righteousness and, 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 and clean living. Because when we redig these wells, as, as Isaac redug the wells, the scripture tells us in verse 19 that when they digged in the valley and they found there a springing well of water. And you see, that's exactly what happens because water always refers to new life and new beginning. That word springing in the Hebrew actually means living. And so, if you're here this morning, and maybe your spiritual life has been plugged up, your spiritual well of living water that Jesus spoke to this woman at the well about is not flowing the way it's supposed to be, then I want to tell you something. Get a, your spiritual shovel and start digging so you can be alive again. So your vision can be refreshed again. So that springing well, remember that song, spring up a well within my soul, spring up a well and make me whole. That's exactly what we're talking about here this morning. Digging is hard work. How many can say amen? If you ever dug, if you ever dug in the garden, you know, I'm not talking about with a little scooper. As, as, as a teenager, I had a part-time job. Uh, working for a landscaper. And what this landscaper's specialty was, was palm trees. Now, I'm not talking about those pretty little palm trees like we have in our yard, but I'm talking about them gigantic, ugly things. Those big things that had to be ready when, when a shopping center was open. And so they gave me one of these, and I thought I was going to dig a little hole. And then they pointed out the huge wooden container that, that the... the the roots of this big palm tree were in and said, dig a hole so that can go in there and dig it deep. Hard work. I want to tell you what's harder than doing that. Spiritual digging. Spiritual digging is harder than physical digging. Why? Because there's a strategy of the enemy that wants to come and distract us and cause us to begin to think, you know, is it really worth it to, to begin to dig? Is it, is, you know, I already dug it once. Uh, why do we have to dig it again? You know, I'm not so sure. It doesn't look like I, I really need to do that. And there's the strategy of the enemy and the lies and deceptions that the enemy brings that we have to fight against. As Paul says, we have to wrestle against and have to contend against in the spiritual realm. And if we're going to be successful in our spiritual life, there's going to have to be a redigging in some of our, our lives. Some of those areas in our lives that are no longer springing up with fresh water spiritually, that have become dull 
our lives that are no longer longing for God, but yet maybe we're turning towards the things of the world. If we're going to discover the real treasures, the inheritance that God has for us, then we're going to have to get in and begin to do some hard work and dig. A sincerity in our hearts that, God, I want that in my life more than I want what the world is offering me. God, I want the life, the spiritual revival that I once had. I need that. And you're going to have to dig deep for that, and you're going to have to own it because it belongs to you. God has that for you, specifically for you. The promises that are here are specifically as an individual for you, for your family. And you're going to have to take ownership of that because it's not going to come for free. I understand salvation is the gift of God, and I get that. But the blessings, uh, the fruitfulness, the, 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 the prosperity, and all the abundant life that God has, it's going to take work to experience that in your life. So the question I have this morning, what are you? Are you a digger? Or are you a filler? Are you allowing the enemy to fill in your destiny, your heritage, your blessings, your destiny, your calling? Or are you a digger that says, no, uh-uh, no devil, you ain't got that, that that's mine. Yeah. Nope, nope, you're not getting it, belongs to me. We're either one or the other this morning. So I want to take a look at, the, at one of the, there's several things. We could be here for months talking about areas that we need to redig in our lives to, re, to reaffirm God's promises. But I'll, I'll just start with a couple. Here's number one. How about the well of repentance? Some of us need to dig up again that well of repentance because there was a time in our life when repentance took place almost every five minutes. Oh, God, did I sin? Forgive me. I'm sorry. And it wasn't just I was sorry. There was a change. Something really changed. It wasn't just a sorrow, but God, I don't want to do that anymore. You remember those days? Redigging the well of repentance. Because over a period of time, how many know that our repentance can become religious? Our repentance can just become a thing that we just go through the motions, almost like the church we used to belong to if you used to belong to another type of church. In Matthew chapter 3 and verse 7, Jesus is speaking to those who are watching him. He's teaching, and there's some religious folks there. They're called Pharisees. They're called Sadducees. These were the religious teachers uh, the Jewish teachers of Jesus' day. Listen to what he says to them as they're, they're watching him teach. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch him baptize, he denounced them. He called them and he says, you brood of snakes, he exclaimed. Wow. How'd you feel if somebody called you a snake? You know, you're a viper. You brood of snakes, he exclaimed. Who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Prove. Prove. Say that word with me, prove. 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 
by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Wow. Now, what a shock that must have been to them. Because they probably thought, don't you know who we are, Jesus? Don't, can't you see who we are? We are the religious folks of the community. We are the ones that do the teaching. We are the ones that people come to us and ask about God. And you're, tell, you're calling us snakes? And you're telling us uh, that there should be proof? Who do you think you are? And I'm sure Jesus would have answered, I'm God. Who are you? And what he says to them is that prove that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. There was genuine proof that was required of repentance. Jesus, I don't care how you dress. I don't care how religious you think you are. I don't care how many scriptures you think you can quote. Does your life back up your mouth? Is your walk backing up what you are talking about? And this is exactly what Jesus is saying. You know, I think maybe you've kind of covered yourself in religion. And you've allowed the enemy to make you religious. And you've allowed the enemy to make you uh, think that you have it all together. But Jesus said, you know what? Uh Uh-uh. You better start digging in your life and dig deep. Because I don't see any proof of your faith. I don't see any proof uh, of your repentance and uh, your service to God. He did that because he wanted to discourage people from clothing themselves in religiosity and separating that from their actual lifestyle. In Matthew chapter 3, again, he goes on in verse 9. Listen to what he says in verse 9. Don't just say to each other, we're safe because we are descendants of Abraham. In other words, hey, you know what? We're spiritual descendants of Abraham. He dug this spiritual well, so that means we're tied in too. (laughs) What do you think about that, Jesus? Didn't work that way because Jesus came back to him. And Jesus said, that means nothing. Wow. Well, I go, to Har- I go to New Harvest. Big deal. So what? I go to Relate Home Bible Study. So what? I have 20 Bibles. So what? Yeah, I wear a tie. So what? That means nothing. Jesus said, for I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Wow. See, you're just like a rock if you're not living it. You're like one of those pebbles over there, one of those rocks. And God can create anything out of a rock. That means nothing. And Jesus was coming across pretty heavy. And he was basically, where we're going with this is that there needs to be more than lip service when we serve God. There needs to be a changing in our life. Luke chapter 13 and verse 3. Jesus declares, I tell you, no, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. There needs to be a true repentance. Now, in the Greek, that word repent, metaneo, means to change one's mind for the better. Change your mind. Change your thinking about 
sin. Change the way you think about what you've done. Don't just say, I'm sorry. How many know kids are, are good at doing that? Sorry. Say you're sorry. 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 And they go and do it again. Five minutes later, they're doing it. I thought you said you were sorry. Sorry. There's no change of thinking. It's just a word. And too many times, we as Christians do the very same thing. We say words, but there's no change of thought and attitude. Because how many know what starts up here that drives what we do? Isn't that true? We think it before we speak it, or we're supposed to anyway. We think it before we do it, or we're supposed to anyway. And so our thought process always comes in first. And so we need to change our way of thinking when it comes to sin. We live in a day and age where our society has changed completely what the Bible calls sin and what it doesn't call sin. And uh, it seems like there's been a turn that, well, maybe it's not sin. You know, maybe Jesus didn't mean that, or maybe God was, you know, he was tired when he said those words, and that wasn't really true what he said. And we're living in a time where there's no genuine repentance. There's no real truthful understanding of right and wrong according to the Word of God. And Paul said, listen, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, we're talking about repentance, digging, God, I haven't repented. I've made altar calls, but I really haven't changed, and I want to do that now. Change my thinking. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 9, now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, because how many know time, kids cry when they get caught. And I'm sorry, you're sorry, why? Because you got caught, and we're, they're just like us, just in little bodies. <laughs> now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you were sorry to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner that you might receive damage by us and nothing. For godly sorrow works repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world works death. You see, the world's kind of sorry is that I won't do it for five minutes and then I'll come back and do it again. Or my, the world's word for sorry is that if I got caught, you know what, they busted me, I'm sorry, but I haven't changed my ways. And Paul said, that's not the way we're supposed to be as Christians. When we come to the altar and cry before God, let it be a true act of repentance and say, God, I see sin the way you see it. I repent. I am sorry. I'm digging this spiritual well. I don't want to do it anymore. And there, I'm free. How about redigging the well of spiritual vision? Spiritual vision. So important this morning. Proverbs 29, 18. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he who keeps the law is happy. Spiritual vision is so important, and this is what the devil does. When you first get saved, man, we're filled with vision, aren't we? Remember? First got saved, ah, God's going to, God, here I am. And, and, and you're, you're, you're prophesying about, about being used. God's going to use my life. You have dreams. Uh, you, you've got goals that are set. I want to be this. I want to do that. I, this, this is what I want God to use me in. And then over a period of time, 
if we're not careful, what begins to happen is we let the enemy and we become fillers instead of diggers, fill our mind with doubt. No, I don't think that's for you anymore. No, you know what? I don't think you can, you can handle that. I don't think that's your calling. No, you know what? Uh, I don't think that you have the wherewithal to be able to do that. No, I don't think so. I think, uh, you know what? Those other things are more important uh, than when you first thought. And uh, you know what? I, don't, I think somebody else would probably do better because you don't have that gift. And you know what? I think after all, uh, you're not as good looking as they are. And so uh, that's, that's probably for them. And you know your voice. Uh, and it's, uh, you know what? I think, nah, you, why don't you just drop it? And he's filled our lives with deception. And we've lost focus uh, of the vision that God's given us uh, when we were first saved and serving him. There's the account of Elisha and his service and his servant in the book of 2 Kings, chapter number 6. We've preached on it before. You've heard sermons on it before. And Elisha and uh, his servant are surrounded in the city by the enemy. And the enemy is surrounding them. And in there in verse 14, it says, then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. This is the king that, that's opposing and coming against Israel. They went by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God, Elijah, Elisha, got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. I love what he says, Elisha. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha, Elisha prayed. How many know prayer is powerful? Prayer is powerful and prayer is necessary. This is why the devil fights you so hard when it comes to praying because he doesn't want your eyes, your spiritual vision to be opened. And so Elisha prayed and then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. Praise God for that. Let me tell you something. Uh, because you and I are involved in spiritual warfare, how many know when we're fighting the enemy, there's fear and doubt and discouragement. They want to come and fill us uh, with unbelief, uh, and we become blinded uh, to the Word of God, blinded to the promises of God, and to the fact that if God be for us, uh, then who can be against us? That's when our confidence uh, in the Word of God start must overcome and we need to start digging and saying, ah, I have that vision, devil. You're a liar. This is what God said to me, and I'm going to fulfill that. No, you can't have my children. God spoke to me about them, and they belong to him. No, you can't have uh, my wife. Uh, God spoke, uh, and he said she's mine, uh, and so you're a liar, and she belongs. And you start digging deep uh, the well of faith uh, and confidence and belief in God.
You see, Paul writes in the book of Romans in chapter 8, verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. When the devil lies to me and says, you're always going to be in financial debt. Your marriage is always, uh, never, it's never going to get well and right. Your children are always going to be little monsters. <laughs> Your physical health is always going to be the way it is. Don't listen to the lies of the devil. Have faith. Let God open up your spiritual eyes uh, and begin to dig deep. Uh, own it. This is ownership. This means heritage, uh, inheritance, uh, not for just you, but for your children and your children's children. Uh, begin to dig. Uh, teach them how to dig. Teach them how to get into the Word of God. Teach them how to fight for what belongs to them. Teach them to work hard uh, and serve the Lord. Don't be a filler. Be a digger. As our, the music ministry makes their way to the platform, I want you to ask yourself this morning, take a look at your life. Are there areas in your life that you allowed the enemy to begin to fill in the places that God said belong to you? Are there areas in your life that you have capitulated, you've surrendered and given over the ownership that God said belonged to you and you've given it over to the enemy? Are there places in your life that you've been struggling in when it comes to the promises of God and you haven't claimed them and held on to them but you just because of the battle, you felt surrounded and you felt overwhelmed like the, the Elisha's servant did. Well, it's time to pray. It's time to get a hold of God. It's time to take up that spiritual shovel. I'm going to say, no more. No more am I going to yield territory. No more Am I going to allow the enemy to come in where he doesn't belong? I want us to bow our heads for a few moments.